0: From Matthew.
1: Morning, everybody. All right, so the, the passage this morning is from Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, so a very short one. In uh, this Bible, which has a lot of stuff on the front, it's uh, 969. And in the in the one that just says Holy Bible, it is 683. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So just grab one of those. I don't have the other page. So 1 to 10, Isaiah 42, 1 to 10. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And he will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry, shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law the islands will put their hope. This is what the, Lord, the this is what God the Lord says He who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it who gives breath to its people to its people and life to those who walk on it I the Lord have called you in righteousness I will hold of your I will take hold of your hand I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people And a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Oh, one more verse. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them.
0: Heavenly Father, thank you so much for for today. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity. We can gather together here as your people. And I pray that you, Holy Spirit, might open our hearts, our minds, and our souls, that we might hear your voice, and that we might learn and be encouraged to resemble Jesus here in Port Macquarie and in the ends of the earth. Amen. Well, guys, um, thank you for having me. I definitely have had a, a good time um, spending time with with you since... Friday, had lots of fun with the kids. Just uh, today, we went for, with a couple of guys. We went for, uh, for a walk to the lighthouse. Just beautiful scenery. And in, in the evening, we had this opportunity to have a, with a bunch of guys, uh, a bunch of you, this dinner. That was really, really lovely. Thank you so much for being so welcoming. Um, so you know now a little bit about my story. And when I came here, when I was living in Australia, and even today, when I opened my mouth, one of the first questions people ask is, where are you from? Well, I can't say I'm from Australia. It's just obvious I'm not from Australia. From Australia, sorry. So that was very simple for me. I knew that one, one time this uh, question would stop. People will not ask me again where I'm from because... I was going to go back to Ecuador. Can you guess what happened when I was over there? Yes, people just started asking me where I'm from. It's like, <laughs> Apparently, after living in Australia for a couple of years, my Spanish accent got a bit funny. So, thank you, guys. It seems that no matter where I go, I have a funny accent. But that actually was a... Bigger question. So I was at my home, and people started asking me where I'm from. So really, who am I? I've been in Australia. Obviously, I'm a a missionary. I'm sorry, I'm a foreigner. Yes, missionary, foreigner. Feels like home. It's not like home. Going back to Ecuador, my home. It is my home. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Who am I? Am I having this... um, Problem with um, with my identity. An identity crisis. What about you? Do you have an identity crisis? What about this church? What are you doing here today? You could go out and do this walk on the beach. Beautiful. What are you doing here today? Who are we? Does the Bible have to say anything about our identity? Well, the reality obviously has. Today we are... We're going to see what Jesus has to say about our identity, our identity as God's people. Today, we are going to see the what and the why of being the salt and light of the world. Let's start with the why. In the reading of Matthew 5, it was easy to see that it it contains two images that Jesus uses to describe identity. These two images are salt and light, and these two images are preceded by the words you are. And this is important to keep in mind because it means that everything that follows, they are not ways of becoming the salt and light, but rather the result of being that salt and light. So the first question we need to address is, who are these you to whom Jesus is speaking to? To respond to this question, we need to go back to verse 1 in chapter 5. And there we encounter Jesus in a hill surrounded by a crowd and his disciples are sat around him. But not only that, we actually encounter Jesus seated and his disciples are sitting around him. But why is this important? Well, think for a moment. If you are going to speak to a crowd, you are not going to sit down. Well, most likely you are going to stand up. You want everyone to see you because this is a way to make your voice heard. But Jesus is not doing this here. He sits down and he starts speaking. And he does it because he's speaking to his disciples. His disciples are sitting around him. And this is important to keep in mind because it means that everything that follows in the Sermon of the Mount are meant for Jesus' followers. So when we reach verse 13, we can see that Jesus is telling his disciples, his followers, that they are the salt and light of the world. But what does this mean? Well, it's obviously these two images aren't literal. Those two images are metaphors. Jesus is combining these two images to teach one truth. And this truth has to, has to uh, this truth explains the disciples' identity. You are, you are. So let's see the first image. Verse 13, please look at your Bible. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything. Here we can see that the image isn't so much referring about the effects of the salt, but rather what the salt is, or better to say, what the salt has. This verse is telling us that the salt has something really, really special, that is saltiness. Saltiness is what gives value to the salt to the point that if the salt loses its saltiness, then the salt is no no longer good for anything. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you are the salt. Meaning, you have something really special. Really, really special to the point that if you lose this special thing, then you are no longer good for anything. Let's go to the second image. Verses 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives life to everyone in the house. Here we can see that the focus of the image isn't so much about the light, but instead in letting the light shine. This is what Jesus said. You don't light a lamp and and then you cover it? That's silly. Not even Ecuadorians do that. No, you light a lamp and you let it shine. And that's actually Jesus' commands in verse 16. Let your light shine before others. So when we put these two images together, we can see that Jesus is saying to his disciples, that they have something special? Really special. To the point that if they lose this special thing, they are no longer good for anything. This special thing is what they need to let it shine. And this is the what. This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. But obviously, this creates questions. Questions like, what is this? And how can we or how can the disciples let others see it? Well, this takes us to the second point, the why. Why is Jesus speaking in this way? Well, let me tell you a story about Diego. When I was living in Australia about six years ago... I visited a church one Sunday, and the minister, the pastor, came to me and asked me, Hey, Diego, how are you traveling? (laughs) Well, I answered, I'm not driving, so I'm catching up buses and trains. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) I answered correctly. (laughs) Maybe not. You know that the pastor wasn't really asking me about my transportation. So my answer was, in the literal sense, was correct, but ultimately was wrong. You see, the problem was context. But you wouldn't have that problem. Why? Because you're Australians. You know the language, you know the slang, you know the context. Same thing in the Bible. When we encounter images in the Bible, sometimes for us, it is hard to understand its meaning. And it is because we live in a different time. So, when we find an image in the Bible, we need to stop and ask why is this image here and what would it mean for the audience? And who are Jesus' audience here? Well, the crowd, disciples, first century Jews. These people lived under the teaching of the Old Testament. So, to be able to understand the meaning of being allied, we need to. St- we need to first ask, is there any reference in the Old Testament about being a light? And the answer is yes, Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, God is introducing the the ideal servant, which is really the personification of what Israel was meant to be but was not. And what is is this that Israel failed to be? At the end of verse 6, it says that God is giving the servant as light to the nations. And how would Israel be this light for the nations? In verse 4, it says that the coastlands, the islands, which which is just another word for nations, they are waiting for the law, waiting for the teachings of the servant. So what God is doing here in Isaiah by introducing the ideal servant is showing us the task that Israel failed to do. Israel had to live out the law, which is living by God's will. And by doing so, they would have shown to the nations how different they are because they are God's people. By the way that Israel would have lived, the nations would have got to know God's character. That was Israel's role, but they never did so. Israel never really lived according to God's will. This is why God is announcing that he will send the perfect servant and that he will fully fulfill the role that Israel failed, that this servant is going to be the light for the nations, making God known to the ends of the earth. Now, with this context, we can come back to the Sermon of the Mount. The image of being a light of the world should have taken Jesus' audience to Isaiah's words. And in this way, we can start understanding The meaning of being a light and salt of the world. So we have in the Old Testament that God called Israel, God's people, to be light of the nations. Now in the New Testament, we have Jesus calling his disciples, God's people, to be light for the nations. Can you see it? Same thing. God hasn't changed his plan God's heart has always been in making himself known to the nations. And how does he do that? Through his people. This is the identity. This is the role of God's people. By definition, being God's people means being a missionary people. This is the heart. This is the soul of missions. That means that you guys, all of you, you have to start considering yourselves as as missionaries. A missionary is not just someone who lives their own country and works in a different culture. A missionary is not someone who is this uh, particular or special kind of Christian. No. A missionary is a Christian. You are a missionary because you are God's people, full stop. And this is our identity because we are God's people our identities being this light for the nations. And this sounds all good, but in practice, really, how does it look like? Well, we just saw in the Old Testament, it meant to live according to the law. But that's the Old Testament, isn't it? How would it mean for the, in the New Testament? Look at verse 16. It says, in the same way, Let your light shine before men, that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Here we can see that there is a uh, direct relationship between letting the light shine and good works. But what's a good work? How can I know that what I'm doing is a good work or not? And even more so, how can I know that an action can be considered a good work in different cultures? Surely this highlights the necessity of a standard. This standard has to be absolute. Otherwise, nobody could even talk about a good work because what is good for you might not be good for me. A standard is necessary. And what is this standard that Jesus is presenting us here? Look at your Bible, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Here we see that Jesus immediately after, having talked about good works, speaks about the law. Now, the topic of how Jesus fulfills the law is rich. It's deep and will take a long time to unpack it. However, by the very least, we can say that Jesus fulfills the law because he gives its true meaning. Jesus gives the true meaning of the law. In the rest of the Sermon of the Mount, there's one phrase that is repeated several times. You have heard it was said, but I tell you. You have heard it was said, but I tell you. Some people believe that this is Jesus versus the law, that this is the Old Testament versus the New Testament. But this cannot be, because Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. This is not Jesus versus the law, but this is Jesus versus... Versus some wrong understanding, some wrong interpretation of the law. That means that it is the same. In the Old Testament, we see that being a light was living according to God's will, isn't it? It is the same in the New Testament. Here in Matthew, we are seeing that being the light is... Letting the nation see God's character displayed in our lives by obeying Jesus' words because he is the fulfillment of the law. But what does this mean for us? Oh, very simple. We need to live according to God's will. Yes. But this actually has something to do about us as a congregation. Because the reference, you are, is not singular. It is actually plural. That means that Jesus was telling his disciples, you as a bunch of believers, you are the light of the world. You, a bunch of Christians here in Port Macquarie, you are the light of Port Macquarie. This place is the lighthouse, the real lighthouse Port Macquarie, because this is the place where God's people gather. That means that how we live matters and matters a lot. This church has to reflect love. Why? Because our God is love. This church has to reflect grace because our God is gracious. This church has to fight for justice because our God is just is just. How we live or by the way we live, we are portraying our God to the nations, to the people around. This is our role. How we live matters. And here, we could finish the sermon. We had been, um, we had been encouraged, rebuke even perhaps. But if we finish the sermon here, it would be incomplete. We have just seen one part of the image. What about the salt element? Remember, Jesus is using these two images to present one truth. So let's try to find out the salt element in what we just have said. So if being a light means living according to God's will, let's see what this passage has to say about God's will. And we know that God's will teaches against adultery. And what does Jesus say about this? Verse 17. Verse 17. Whoever sees men or women lustfully has committed adultery in their heart. And what do we say to that? Maybe that whoever is free from sins should have thrown the first stone? Maybe. And just in case this hasn't really spoken to your life, Jesus might have something for you. Verse 22. You have heard it was said to not murder? But if anyone gets angry at his brother, they have also found guilty. What is Jesus doing here? Something is for sure. He's not making things easier. In fact, he is raising the standard. Jesus, in fulfilling the law, he's pointing us to the real function of the law. He's showing us that we are sinners. That it's actually impossible for us to fully keep the law because the law is highlighting that there is a problem in us. That problem is sin. That's what is Jesus telling us telling that unless our righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, we cannot enter God's kingdom. But what does this mean for our message? We just thought that our passage was telling us that we need to let others see that we live according to God's will. And now Jesus is telling us that our lives are not perfectly following God's will. And that we we actually can't do so. So what is this that we need to sh- show? What is this that we need to let the world see? Well, I think it is exactly that. We need to let the world see that, yes, we are God's people, that we obey God's will. We have a different uh, worldview. But at the same time, we need to let them see that we can't do so. This is not a matter of us being perfect. Do you remember the function of the salt? The salt is this, that if it loses its saltiness, then it's no longer good for anything. This, friends, is the message of the gospel for the church. The gospel is the answer for the problem of sin. If we take sin out of the equation, out of our message, then we don't have message any longer then it means that if we take sin out of the Christian message, Christianity is no longer good for anything. And that is really hard to say. So please let me to elaborate a little bit this idea. Christianity has many good things to offer to the world. It teaches and promotes human rights. It teaches the best way to live, that is, according to the Bible's teaching. It teaches that people can be free from slavery of drugs such as alcohol. But I tell you that if someone comes to Christianity just because they want to stop drinking, that person can become a Christian or a Muslim. If someone comes to Christianity because they want to uh, live in harmony, the message of loving the neighbor, live the harmony with the community and the nature, that person can listen to Jesus and also to some of the Lama's wants teachings. That person can become a Christian or a Buddhist or follow any other of the new age ideologies. And if someone comes to Christianity because they want to have this moral and ethical life, I tell you there are many people outside who live in that way and don't even believe in the existence of a God. I hope you are seeing the point. Christianity is different to the rest of religions because it's understanding of sin which points to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the salt. This is what we can't lose. Our function is to let the world see the salt, let the world see the problem of sin. This is the fulfillment of the law. If we take sin out of the Christian message, then there is no need for Jesus anymore. And in our current society, especially in Australia, the church faces the temptation to accommodate its message so it will be in line to certain political agenda, to perhaps make the message a little bit more attractive, more relevant. And sadly, some churches have gone in that path. Some churches don't even want to use the word sin anymore because they are afraid to hurt people's feelings. But we we can't do that. Because if we don't teach, if we don't preach the problem of sin, then we don't longer have message. This is our identity. But how can we do that? How can we apply this message to our lives? Well, look, it might be different ways to do it, but today I just want to point out to the simplest and perhaps the most forgotten of them all, that is, being friends with non-believers. I don't exactly know how it's here in Port Macquarie, but in Ecuador, normally when people become Christians, they are encouraged to leave their non-Christian friends at all. And yes, this is based in their desire to avoid sin. And most definitely, there are certain friendships that we need to avoid because they are not good for us. But this doesn't mean that we need to turn our backs completely to non-Christians, because if we do so, To whom are we going to let the light of the gospel shine? This is like lighting a lamp and then cover it. So can I encourage you to seek to have non-Christian friends? Can I encourage you to pursue some activity with a purpose to make friendships with non-believers? I don't know, It, it might be just joining a gym, a pottery class, or a kombucha club, which apparently is becoming a thing these days. Whatever you do, do it with a purpose to start growing friendships with non-believers. Because this is a way to let the light of the gospel shine in your lives. But perhaps you are recognizing that most of the people with whom you hang out with, they are non-Christians. And if that is your case, that is great. That means that God has already given you these people so you can let them see the gospel in your life. So now we need to start looking at them a bit different. Definitely they are our friends, but they are the nations for us. Remember, the nations aren't necessarily people who speak a different language. The nations are not those who look different to us. The nations are just those who don't know God yet, don't know Jesus yet. They are the nations for us. And our responsibility is to let them see the gospel shine in our lives. That means that we need to let them see that we live differently because we follow Jesus. We have a different worldview. That we try to live according to God's will. But at the same time, we also need to let them see that we are still sinners, that we are sinners saved by grace, that we also need Jesus in our lives. That means, God, that you need to stop pretending that you have a perfect life. You need to stop, stop pretending that you need to be vulnerable and be open about your struggles. Because if you pretend to, that you have a perfect life, there's two things. One, that's a lie, and it won't, it won't take long for your non-Christian friends to realize that. And he will recognize that your telling is different than your living and that will give base for them to believe that Christianity is just hypocrisy. But if you are honest about your struggles and you're faith in Jesus in the midst of them, then your friends will understand that the same grace, the same mercy, the same forgiveness you received, it is also available to them. This points to the message of Jesus Christ. This is our message. And to finish it up, guys, You know, for me, it's very simple, very easy to stand up here to say these things, because nobody of you, no one knows me really. You might even believe because I'm a missionary. I have, uh, I spend lots of time with non-Christians. That for me is really simple to do these things, but the reality, the reality, it is, I am with you guys. For me, it's hard. It's hard to start new friendships. Because it takes time and it takes energy. And sometimes people can be really awkward. And I don't want to spend time with them. I just want to remain in my own little bubble. I want to remain in my comfort zone. I also want to portray this image that in my life everything is good. I'm the same like you guys. So I need to pray to my Lord for help so I might be able to really fulfill my role as being a light and salt in this world. I think it is the same for you. So let us pray together to our Father and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Lord, thank you. Thank you that your word show us that you have a heart for those who don't know you
1: and that you want to
0: use us for this purpose. I ask your forgiveness for the times that we have forgotten our roles, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us, will guide us, will give us energy and courage to let the light of the nations, to let the light of the Gospels shine to the nations. Let them see the Gospel in our lives. Amen.